Welcome to episode 57 of the Mountainland Running Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Heiderscheidt from the University of Wisconsin Sports Medicine, and here with my co-host, Mountainland Physical Therapist, Jeremy Stoker. It seems like it's been a while since I've seen you, dude. How you doing? Good. Yeah, it has been a while. We kind of did a double header up front and then missed last time. And so anyway, the, the show must go on and you guys just always carry it well. And I just feel grateful to come on occasionally and poke my head in like I uh, have some sort of part in this. So thanks a lot. What do you mean some sort of part of this? You're you're a key cog to the whole process. So it's great to have you back uh, and uh, look forward to uh, chatting a little bit more on today's topic with tendinopathies. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's see. Check back for, for updates on the 2021 Mountainland Running Summit at summit.mlrehab.com. The full agenda is now online and posted. So take a look at the schedule. Take a look at the dates. Take a look at the, the facilities and the location and, and come check us out. Uh, we're great. We're hoping, hoping, fingers crossed that everything remains open. So we will uh, be an in-person uh, summit and conference back in Park City, Utah this fall. Uh, our lineup of speakers is fantastic. We're always grateful to, for them to take part of their time and to share their expertise with us. And this year is no exception. We've got some heavy hitters. So go check us out online. Uh, send questions and feedback, of course, to podcast at mlrehab.com. Uh, and today we are going to talk about tendinopathies, as I mentioned, and we're going to do so with Dr. Karn Silbernagel from the University of Delaware. Dr. Silbernagel is an associate professor and associate chair in the Department of Physical Therapy. She has been a practicing physical therapist for over 30 years, mainly in orthopedics and sports medicine, and her expertise is in the clinical aspects of tendon injury. As the principal investigator of the Tendon Research Group at the University of Delaware, she is working to advance the understanding of tendon injuries and repair so that tailored treatments can be developed. Her work has been directly integrated into the clinical guidelines with a focus of how to prescribe exercise and physical activity as treatment for patients with tendon injuries. She has presented her research at numerous conferences and published in peer-reviewed journals over 100 plus to date. Her research is funded by the NIH, Foundations for Physical Therapy, Swedish Research Council for Sports Science, and Swedish Research Council. She's also an editor for the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. And I've known, had the privilege of knowing Karen for a number of years and collaborated on several projects, including JOSPT, and it's my pleasure to welcome Karen to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and talk about my favorite topic, which is tendon injuries and tendinopathy. No doubt. I mean, it's hard not to put your name every time somebody hears tendon injuries and connected with you. You've been doing this for a, a while and doing it at a very high level and have been a major contributor to a lot of what we do, not only in the U.S., but across the world in terms of managing tendon injuries. So thank you for all of your work in that area. Well, thank you. And it's like my mother keeps on asking what I'm doing research on. And I say tendon or Achilles tendon. And she figures, aren't you done with that yet? But no, it keeps on going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So speaking of which, you may not have to go back as far as when you were a child, but how did you get interested in this topic? Where did you, what drove your interest and, and a little bit in your background would be great. Maybe it did start when she was a child, Brian. Maybe it did. Maybe she had a tendon injury that drove it that way. But well, You never know. But when I was 13, I was going to be a lawyer. So I don't think it started a bit earlier than that. But um, I was going to be a lawyer and drive a red Porsche. Um, but that's, that changed. Um, Hopefully you still have the latter part, though, as part of nah. it. No. <laughs> I have a red for a while or something. Yeah, I have, I have a white VW instead. But anyway, um, 
I, so I was born and raised in Sweden and I was um, looking for a profession that you could do all over the world, really. And I was really interested in sports and exercise. So I went to United States and um, studied physical therapy and athletic training. So that's where I got my training. And then I, sports medicine was always my focus. So my goal was therefore to come to United States because of they had the, you know, the athletic training education, which UK did not have that sport specific. So I got both degrees at the same time and stayed in United States for six years to to work and what hit me what what really started at that point was um you know when i studied there was like the muscles and there was bones and there was joints some cartilage and then the tendon was just this inert structure that held the muscle to the bone and that was it and then when i started my um my career i was working in sports medicine in baltimore we were also working a lot with the orioles it was a great place but then all these patients came in that had tendonitis right so everybody had pain and inflammation in the structure that nobody really talked about. And that to me started to really, that something did not make sense here. Why, why didn't we not know more? Luckily I was good in medical terminology. So I know that itis meant inflammation and I know what tendon was. So it's, you know, we really started out thinking about this as an acute injury and it was pain and people should rest. And it was ultrasound, you know, and ion or phonophoresis and all these kind of areas. So that's kind of where I started with, you know, really what is this and how do we move this forward? And then I, um, when I started my, we moved back to Sweden and when I started my PhD a little bit before that, uh, I actually started my master's for exercise physiology in the US, but continued in Sweden when I went there and really then was able to kind of pursue research in this area. And that was right around the time when we started to realize that maybe this is not an acute inflammatory condition. There's less cells, uh, inflammatory cells in there, but maybe loading is important. We had Kerbin and Stanish in the late 1980s, early 90s, talking about the eccentric loading because that's what was the running. It was loaded eccentrically. So maybe that's why the pain started. So that's really when I started to um, look into tendon as far as like, this is much more of importance. And I think the drive today is still hard to kind of get people to understand, um, even from a perspective, how important the tendons are. I completely agree. And I think a lot of that, that in terms of their, their, the challenge with tendons is because, like you say, they don't necessarily have the, the training leading up to it like we might in some of the other tissues as a background. So then we, when we are presented with tendon injuries, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding how do I approach this? And you tend to just do what the person next to you is doing or, you know, what your, what your colleague might be doing. And there it may be a little less science to guide that. So what, besides the training side of it, what else do you think contributes to that uncertainty idea about how, or how, how to manage tendinopathies? Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think you really hit the points too, right? I mean, we, a lot of people were not trained that really thinking about tendons. So then that's one thing, right? And the other part is that if you were trained with something with tendons, you were trained um, based on old knowledge, right? So that's hard to translate that it was that it's painful. That's an acute inflammation. You should rest it. And if you don't do that with a painful tendon, especially Achilles tendon, right? You have a painful tendon, then people directly goes to the worst scenario is if you're going to have a Achilles tendon rupture. We can talk about that, that those don't really follow one another. But so I think that it's like that catastrophizing or where, where it is to the end versus it's a really slow moving injury. So the problem I really think too is when you see it in, especially in runners or athletes and things too, it doesn't seem really 
really bad when you start mm -hmm. out, right? Because I'm just a little stiff. Maybe it's not that important. So it's really those early signals is very different than signals in other versus on the treatment end, it takes much longer um, for the recovery. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that recovery side and the duration of the recovery side that gets so much pushback from the patients, uh, certainly. But then even on how do you properly manage somebody on that recovery process when it is so drawn out? You know, does it fit the, the once a week model of care? Probably not, right? It's one of those where it's almost a, uh, an educational based approach where you let, but it's with with the the um, the check-ins at key times when it's time to advance what it is that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think there there's there's two there are a few key aspects that I'm you know that I want to share with people right away. It's that yeah. first of all, um, if you are working with a team or athletes and those things, when it comes to that kind of stiffness, early signs from tendon, you need to react right away, and you need to react right away maybe with modification in loading and those kind of things. So you don't go, so you don't continue down this spiraling of getting really, really bad. So that's yeah. one of the keys. And a lot of times we, we miss that train, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, the other part is that this is not a quick fix and the people continuously, even the person treating it want to have a quick fix for your patient and the patient wants a quick fix. And every time you try to do go for a quick fix, you keep on failing, right? Because it's not getting better in two weeks. And if that's your expectations, you keep on running into the same wall. Instead of having the expectations, I tell my patients, you're not going to have any change probably in the next six weeks. And this might, this is something that you're going to need to work on for a year. Doesn't mean you need to stop running. Doesn't mean you need to do these, but this is something you need to continue working on for a longer period of time. And if you have that right up front, then the patients, you know, a lot of the patients come back and are really grateful because they understand what they're looking for instead of feeling like you said two weeks and now I failed and you failed and now I'll go to the next person and mm -hmm. they failed and I failed, right? So instead of having that kind of thing, really realizing this is the path forward, it's gonna be slow, you're gonna go up and down, you're gonna have times with increased pain, some with better pain, but I tell my patients, if you if you follow what I do, I know I can get you better in a year. If you don't do what I do, I'll see you in a year and we can start then. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Well, what I really like about your your work is that you've you know, your research isn't just at, at, the, at the clinical outcomes level. It incorporates that, but it also is at the tissue level, looking for, for adaptations and modifications that occur. So when you're describing like the, the four-month, six-month, 12-month uh, approach, do, do all of those outcomes follow that same time scale or are they on different time scales? So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, what, what I'm really, um, so what I'm really interested in is that it's tendinopathy is just not one. We used to call it just painful and symptoms, right? So you evaluate the symptoms and that is your main outcome. But then you're looking at the people that do the basic science research, they're looking at cellular level, tendon structural level, and, and then you have um, people that have fear of movement, that don't dare to load, and then you have functional deficits. So we've really tried to have this big model of all the various domains and we want people to improve in all the domains right it's kind of the same thing where the acl would have gone and other injuries and i think that one of the concerns that we had when i started my research like 20 years ago was that 
it was purely the symptoms that you were looking at. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, I can treat anybody's symptom within five minutes. And you've probably heard <laughs> me say this before. I'm like, you lie down on the table here. I go get a cup of coffee. When I come back, you have no pain. So we're done, right? And obviously we're not done then, right? We want you to be able to run. We want you to be active. We want you to perform at the highest level. And then in my research, we saw that people that recovered their symptoms still had not recovered their functional capacity, like some running, jumping, and some strength. Uh, and then the structure comes in that people can have changes in the structure even before they develop symptoms, or they can have changes that hasn't fully recovered. So we need to look at all these various domains and they recover at different aspects. And for each patient, maybe each cannot 100% recover, but you want each domain to recover as much as you can in order to make them, you know, the best at what they can be and also making sure that they don't have re-injury. Because the interesting thing, especially with a track and field athlete that I worked with, they come to you, you know, they come eventually when they have pain and they can't do their activity, right? So when you talk to them, it's like, well, I've had stiffness in the morning for the last two or three months and things. And sometimes when you dig deep, they actually have noticed, and especially in runners too, their capacity went down. They weren't running quite as fast as they thought. They're, you know, the um, when they're looking at their how fast they run the mile and things. Certain things started to change. And the problem is, the athletes often respond then by training more, mm -hmm. instead of realizing that this might be a sign that maybe you need to modify your training, you modify your load, and those kind of things too. So that's kind of the things that we really try to work on, understanding where those various domains are. Yeah, that's really good. And I think what you've hit on a lot of toward the end of there was really this idea of that, that load modification and load progression and how critical it is for this injury, right? And I think that's a that's definitely a challenge because I'm trying to think of other injuries. Certainly, there's a load progression and load management that, that applies to almost every musculoskeletal injury that we have. But it it, it seems a little more either a little more intuitive or a little more straightforward, I think, in how we how we as physical therapists, athletic trainers, healthcare providers handle that and, and prescribe that. You know, for example, uh, postoperatively, we have our load progression built in with our with the rehab program, but we don't necessarily control as much of what they're doing outside of that in the load progression sense. Um, but generally, like you said early on, people with tendinopathies can be fairly active. And so they can continue at a very high level. And so our understanding of those loads and how that's either helping the recovery process or hindering the recovery process is critical to the, to the overall management plan. Yeah. And I mean, I, I got to admit, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I mean, a lot, a lot of my, um, you know, the way we've developed over the years is because of the mistakes I've made too, right? Obviously, it's like, the, you know, with Achilles tendinopathy, we, I really wanted people to exercise throughout the whole range to mm -hmm. really load the tendon through the whole range. And then people started to develop pain in the insertion because they were irritating the insertion, right? And the other thing that we really tried for a while was to the load management. And, and this is when the, a, a lot of the really good track and field athletes really helped me figure it out too, the difference with the tendon is that, um, so in order to try to load management, right, they ended up doing a little bit of plyometric like every day for the high mm -hmm. jumpers with the, with the Achilles tendinopathy, for example. And then we were doing our exercises and doing those things. But what ended up being is that the training was never good enough, right? It was poor 
training like daily and there was never any recovery. And that's when I really got interested in the, in, in the cellular aspect and really understanding tenu- tendon from a tissue level mm-hmm. um, and really try to you know, listen to those kind of researchers too. And when you look at that, we can see that tendon, I mean, we used to say the tendon was healed poorly, but they don't, they heal adequately to what they need to be. It's just a lot slower than muscle, Mm -hmm. but it also means that you can load tendons for a longer period of time. So when you're a runner, you can run a marathon and your tendon can handle that. Right. But then when you're healing, it takes longer. So what tendon really needs is, um, they need that more recovery days than you would need from a muscle and things. So when we're working with these athletes, we actually instead, um, really do like a heavy loading plyometrics and running like one day and then we want recovery days two to three recovery days before we Hmm. do that heavy loading again so now the training is really really good for the athlete for the tissue for the muscle for the tendon and then you get the adequate recovery so instead of doing a little you know Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say any bad words but every day and then you really (laughs) want a good training good recovery and good training so on on those days where you're doing less of the plyometric, less of the the heavier load approach just to it, do you then completely unload the tendon? Is it just is it loading in a in a less aggressive way? What what are you doing on those on those two to three days in between the the heavy days? I mean, you know, there's a short and long answer to that, right? I mean, it's yep. a, the long answer is I'm continuing going to do research for the next 20 years to answer specifically. But yeah. um, what, what we're actually doing, so we use, and we have a published a return to sponge kind mm-hmm. of model and things too. And what we really try to do is giving the tendon recovery, two to three days of recovery from really heavy loading. But loading the tendon needs every day. So you can kind of grade the loading. So for the example, what we're looking for, like a runner that returns to um, running, a lot of times what we have, for example, um, their low level could be um, jogging, like jogging three miles doesn't affect me, doesn't cause me any change in pain. So then that's your base level. You can do that every day. But now we're trying to go like the really heavy that we want to push your ability to go further, right? So the main thing is to kind of, increase the capacity of the individual and the tendon with remaining with the same pain level, right? So then we have like, for example, Monday, you're now running a sprint workout five miles fast or something, right? And then on Tuesday, then you're doing your exercises. Maybe you're just going for a slow jog. You still want to get your two to three miles in. Then on Wednesday, you might do um, maybe the same or the same strengthening or some other things. And then either Thursday or Friday, you can go back. Maybe now you want to do a 10 mile run, right? So Mm -hmm. we're modifying these and trying to find different levels so that you can continue because offloading completely is not good, but loading too much. is not the perfect way either. Yeah. So besides the, the, the changes in the load progression, uh, as you mentioned, kind of using a bit of a cycle approach to it. Have you ever, have you identified or are you familiar with any treatments at this point now that have been shown to be pretty much ineffective? Because it seems like people are, will throw everything in the kitchen sink at, at a tendinopathy, looking for that, that really rapid response and, and quick recovery of pain and progression. But have you, have you seen anything on that? 
So I, I love this question, right? So I think that there's two really big problems and I really want to urge everybody. There's no treatment that is effective if you don't do exercise. So if you don't do the loading, the exercise, there's no treatment that can be replaced with that. Then there are some additional things that sometimes can maybe help. Um, there are some people that you feel kind of gets, gets stuck. And then mm -hmm. it's when I want to have a hammer anything that can kind of cause the chaos. Mm -hmm. um, so there are various treatments like, like shockwave. There are other various treatments that people do to kind of get things moving. But again, mm -hmm. it can't work without um, exercise. The other problem that we're having is that, um, you know, the, the, the treatment takes time and then people start with the exercises for three to four months and then they add something in and they think mm -hmm. that what they added in was made the results if they get started and get better, but really it's the first three or four months that actually started to making the change. Yeah. The concern I do have, which are really concerned is like cortisone injections, probably maybe not, not so good, but there are some indication in rheumatological diseases, mm -hmm. more of the inflammatory, it could be beneficial. Um, I'm really concerned with all the PRP injections and the, none of the PRP injections have really shown any good effect clinically on mm -hmm. patients with tendinopathy, but they're being used over and over again. And my concern with this is um, basically when we talked about the domains, I think the research, the research with PRP is aimed at affecting tendon cells, but the outcome of the treatment study is affect, looking at how, mm -hmm. how pain improves. <laughs> so, so we have a disconnect in what we're trying to treat and what our outcomes are. So I'm afraid that sometimes maybe there are some really good treatments, but we're missing it because the way we're designing the trials, right, for the outcomes. Um, but there, there is nothing really more than exercise, some shockwave, there's some studies, maybe laser, there are there's no really evidence for dry needling. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of these various things that people do um, that is not the evidence. On the other hand, as a clinician too, there might be things that you do in your hands or with your specific patient that you think yeah. works. Um, but as long as you do a good evaluation, think about what you're treating, I think that's really important, but you can't get them better without thinking about loading and exercise. And I'd be very careful with jumping to all these other various injections and things um, until we know more. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Uh, Kern, I just, uh, one, one of the tricky spots I have a lot of the time is um, when I'm treating patients is this, acute versus chronic moment, you know, like, so I get someone's coming in and they have this tendon injury that happened two to three weeks ago. And, and I don't know if you feel like age plays a factor in it. If they're a, a young, you know, teenager versus a mid forties, mid fifties uh, runner who, who, you know, has continued to run or there's that portion. And then there's that second portion that you mentioned, if they start to feel stiffness, you know, we want to address it what kind of things or what kind of approach you're taking at that moment when they're like, yeah, you know, it's stiff in the morning. I run, no problem. Things don't bother me. I'm just stiff in the morning. So, you know, what kind of load management or what are we starting isometrics then in that mid range or what, what do you kind of suggest on kind of those two approaches on when is that, that tipping point between acute and chronic and, and kind of any thoughts you have pearls you can give. So basically that can take me like an hour to answer all of those kind of things, right? <laughs> well, uh, that's what I'm hoping. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you might not be able to keep me quiet. Um, no, but, but there are things, there are certain things like we did studies uh, really early on in the nineties too, that or two um, thousands uh, we published, we looked at people less than three months and we saw, for example, that ion um seemed 
to help those, and we classified more than three months. And all mm -hmm. the studies that were being done was people that had symptoms more than three months, right? So we were thinking that less than three months was more acute, and then it was more like this chronic injury before than three months. Mm -hmm. So now we have data from patients that have had symptoms anywhere from two to three months to on and off for 10 years. So we're pretty certain then, okay, it's got to be this acute and the chronic. And then we're looking at duration of symptoms it has no, we can see no relationship with um, duration of symptoms with the recovery, with all these other variables we're looking. So all of a sudden this duration of symptoms didn't work, right? And other researchers have done, looked at it too. So it's really hard to figure out what is, what is an acute or a chronic injury. So I don't mm -hmm. really think we know that, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, that, that the, the changes is an overload kind of change that probably occur before you sensing symptoms, depending on when you are sensing the symptoms and it could go on and off, right? So it's a little bit hard to know. So for me, um, it's more of not if you're in acute or chronic phase, it's where your symptoms are. So we use the pain monitoring model, right? Zero being no pain, 10 being the worst imaginable pain. And we're using that to guide the kind of loading that we're doing. And that works regardless of if you're chronic or if you're acute, right? Because it kind of works with the exercises that you're doing. So we always start with exercises. We don't start with isometric exercise for Achilles tendon because it doesn't really make any difference for Achilles tendinopathy. You can do the loading. Um, but a lot of times doing bilateral heel rises and they warm up and they feel really good, then you can go to single leg heel rises. If there's somebody for Achilles, for example, have pain at the insertion, then maybe you need to work in a range that doesn't irritate the insertion. So we work on those things. Um, the other point that you really had that I really want to hammer into, so we want this early stiffness to be kind of important. Doesn't mean that somebody just have a little bit of morning stiffness should stop running. And that's not what we're saying. We're using the pain monitoring. You can continue to be active, but if you have morning stiffness, maybe you need to start thinking about, okay, you know, if I'm a runner, um, I probably should exercise my calf, not just go to the gym and do the calf, you know, the quadriceps and the hamstring. People don't exercise the calf a lot. So you can load the calf. And when you load the calf, you load the tendon. And the input to the tendon with strengthening is different than the input from running. So those two give different signals to the recovery of the tendon. I do have people that come to me. I had one guy that I've treated before and he's like, oh, I did great. And then I kind of fell off the bandwagon with my exercises. So three years later, he's like, calls me, can I come and see you again? I'm like, why? Oh, my Achilles tendon, but you know what to do. I'm like, yeah, I just need to see you. You just need to tell me what to do. Like he just wanted me to yell at him and do the exercises. And then he's like, okay, my, the Gothenburg marathon in Sweden was coming up. It's a half marathon. He's run it every year for the last 25 years. So then we have a discussion. I'm like, I can get you to run. You just need to realize when you're done with that run, you're going to be worse again. Right. And then we can manage depending on what level you are. So that's what's kind of fun when you're working with tendinopathy, but that's also what's hard when you're working with it, right? Because you can manage certain things, but the problem is if you do this for too long, your capacity actually goes down, right? So you're, you're not functioning at the highest level if you have the pain and the tendon changes in their mechanical properties. So you are, for example, if you're a runner and the tendon, Achilles tendon is tendinopathic, it's become more elastic, which means it's harder for you to bounce on your tendon. So your running economy suffers, right? You burn more for each step, which means you probably might not be able to handle for as long. So all of those pieces needs to be put together. So I think I think I answered your question without spending an hour on it. Did I? <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. I, I and I didn't expect the hour, so I appreciate you truncating it down for that's great. <laughs>
Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But does so, that help you in that? Now I'm going to ask you guys, does that help in you and you're in the clinical if you think of patients in front of you? Yeah, you know, I think of uh, it, my, my biggest, one of my biggest challenges with these tendons, and, and I appreciate the perspective of, of, you know, a year, you know, I mean, I definitely try to think, okay, this is a long time. And we kind of think about, okay, I'm going to see you for a few times and let's, let's space this out and let's, you know, really try to push this. But the year definitely is a good, a good presentation. Okay, like, let's think this way, you know, and I think we try to be patient, but everyone's a little bit this patient, but I sometimes when I have someone is just right at that tipping point where, for example, let, let's take this one lady who I had, she, she was um, surfing um, behind a boat, uh, you know, boat surfing there, and she flipped and the, the um, surfboard came and hit her right at the ischial tuberosity right on her uh, proximal tendon of the hamstring. And, and so I think I saw her probably like six ish weeks. And I was like, well, you know, we're kind of, I was using duration of symptoms thinking, well, we're kind of in this still kind of early stage, but maybe getting to a chronic, she was having a hard time getting back to running. And so we kind of took a couple of weeks where we said, let's just lay off this. Let's kind of maybe do a rest, kind of a rice kind of thing, thinking we're, we'll see if we can nip it as it's an acute. She didn't really respond to that. So they said, well, okay, let's start more into this kind of a chronic progression where we start to load the tendon and kind of progress it that way. So I guess what I, what I'm gathering is it's not necessarily a time of, uh, since onset as much as it is, where's your pain at? And if it's in the tendon and if we're in a low level, moderate pain, we, we can tolerate it and we can kind of progress safely. Is that yeah. fair to say, Karen? Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say. So that's perfect. <laughs> and I and I see that a lot actually in the in the proximal hamstring, right? Because yeah. that's a, that's one of the ones where, you know, the I remember my my boss in Sweden, he fell cross country skiing and had a hamstring tear, right? It looks blue and black and looks yeah. horrible. And then you have the ballet dancer, the Karl Askling that looked at you more like the little pop, the proximal, and you think like this big blue thing, that's going to take some time, you feel bad for it. And the little pop in the proximal, oh, that's a minor injury and not that big of a deal. And when you look at the recovery, the one that is more proximal in the mm -hmm. tendon takes a lot longer. So it's not also the, the, the type of injury or how cool the injury is, how big it is. It's really that kind of that it takes time and you need to load it over time. So yeah, thank you for saying that because then maybe I said the right things. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks you for saying that. it. Of course you said the right things, for sure. <laughs> All right, so here's, I want to know what you got on in the hopper. What are the new exciting stuff that uh, the Tendon Research Group is launching? Yeah, so one of the articles that we just accept, got accepted too is really trying to look at, uh, and this is specifically to Achilles tendinopathy, are there different groupings, right? So the, the big thing has been one size fits all. So I think that we started with, we didn't load tendons at all, right? And then we realized we could load them. And of course, we had this big improvement in, in, in treatments. A lot of people got better. And then people got frustrated with the treatment that we have because everybody didn't get better. And I'm like, well, if you look at all these various domains, they're not all the same. And are there specific groups that we can look at so we can understand when we do treatments, just like clinical prediction rules. So we have one study coming out now just looking at groups so we can see we have one group that is more activity dominant. They don't have a lot of symptoms, don't have a lot of deficit, don't have a lot of structural differences. And it might be the group that really responds quickly. We have some that are a little more um, 
higher fear of movement, more problems with function. And then we have one group that really we see the structure is a big problem and maybe be older. So we're starting to see that maybe this can help us in understanding progression and where they are. Maybe that helps us more than just, you know, the acute chronic or duration of symptoms. So that article is coming out and now we're going to follow over time and see if there are groups and how they improve over time. So I think those things for us are really, really exciting. And we're really working a lot on looking at mechanical properties and changes in tendon structure and try to put this picture together. So we're doing that for Achilles tendon. We're looking in patella tendon. And um, so trying to understand how we can put all these pieces together. And my next step is actually the other study we just started too. We started to look at youth runners um, and we call them all Severs disease, but do they have Achilles tendinopathy with all the, you know, the progression now with um, young kids doing one sport for so long. And all of a sudden I'm like, we used to say that they never got Achilles tendinopathy. The tendons are so healthy. They're all Severs disease. And all of a sudden we realized this starts to looking like Achilles tendons, but nobody's looked at that. So we're looking at to see, are they purely Severs or are the changes in the tendon at the same time? And how do they recover? And we started looking at treatments for them kind of based on what we're doing. So I'm really excited about that because I think that tendons are the same as bone, right? You have a you have a moment of time when you develop that you can develop really good tendons and then you might be stuck with them for the rest of your life. And if we're screwing that up, it might not be so good too. So that's another area we're interested in. And the third area I'm really interested in, I don't doing, I'm hoping somebody else might have time to do is <laughs> to really look in women uh, and hormonal because a lot of women that I treat a lot of people through, you know, emails and Zoom and those things, but there are a lot of women runners that have concerns and they feel like they don't get better and it's kind of going up and down. And I'm talking with my hands, uh, but the symptoms goes up and down. And it seems to be that I have a few women that are kind of documenting this relation to their uh, menstrual period. And it seems a lot of them seems to have more pain the week before they actually get their period. So some of these variations might not purely be loading. It might be hormonal changes and other things that is important to understand. And for those women that I work with, they seem, they feel like a lot of them describe it. I don't have the evidence from the research, but maybe that is relating to it as well. And when they started to see that pattern, it also helps them modify that they don't have to worry about, I had more pain after that run. Maybe it's the normal cycle that changes there too. So I think there's a lot more work to do. And I'm going to tell my mom that I have more work to do on tendons. That's right. You've got you've got a, a at least two or three lifetimes of work ahead of you. <laughs> so that's awesome, though. That is going to be fantastic information. And yeah. and for all of our listeners as well as ourselves, we're excited the fact that that Karen's going to be in person at the running summit this fall, and she's going to be sharing her knowledge and some of these updates that she just described. So we're really really looking forward to having her there. So thank you again for accepting our invitation to be there. And for joining well, us today you. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank you. you. I'm ex very excited to be able to talk to you guys. And I'm so looking forward to the conference in September too. And uh, yeah, definitely in person. That's what I really want to be exactly. able to have <laughs> so be able to have people to talk to better conversations outside mm -hmm. of just the presentation too. Exactly. I think we're all uh, zoomed out at this point. So for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Karen. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, well, that brings us to the end of the today's podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Jeremy Stoker, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. And as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Check for updates of the 2021 Mountainland Running Summit at summit.mlrehab.com. Summit Registration for the 2021 Mountain Summit is now open. So 
be sure to check it out and get your registration in. As always, you can find more information on all of the running medicine resources offered by Mountainland Physical Therapy at mlrehab.com slash run. We'll see you next time. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.